she is completely right and you're wrong. So I'm changing nothing. I think she's got it right. Hello, and thank you for downloading this episode of the Malted Muse podcast. The voice you heard at the beginning of this episode was that of the charismatic and fully charged Willie Tate. What a pleasure it was to talk to him. Now to hear more and to find out what it was that I was wrong about, keep listening for the end of this episode. Now this week, I'm going to be playing the rest of the interviews from We Dram Fest in Bakewell. But it's been an eventful week and there are things I need to tell you about. Now before I go any further, I want to very quickly slip in a bit of last minute news that has come through to me as I'm about to finish off posting this podcast out onto the internet for you all to listen to. Now the last minute bit of news that I've got is I've been contacted by one of the listeners to the Morted Muse podcast, somebody who I've spoken about in past episodes, a man goes by the name of Simon Seaton. Now Simon's been listening to this podcast for some time now and one of the lovely experiences that I had in doing this this podcast was actually meeting up with him at Whiskey Live London. We shared a dram with each other. Um, I can remember the dram is a peated Irish from Berry Brothers and Rudd. Very enjoyable. Now, it was nice meeting Simon then, and it was sad news in many ways to know that he then moved back over to the USA. But he's kept in contact, and... I'm really thrilled with the thing that he's he's told me about in my his last email to me and it's about the fact that he has now set up his own whiskey website and blog. He's doing tasting reviews of whiskies and I think you're going to find he's going to develop his own style here. I want to read you a little bit from his website. My first comment, he says, regarding my whiskey tasting notes and whiskey tasting notes in general is that whiskey almost always mostly tastes like whiskey. No one ever writes that in their notes. Sweet whiskey scent with strong whiskey flavour and a hint of whiskey in the finish. And then he goes on. He explains himself. But what a lovely fresh attitude to take. Obviously, it's not going to be a website of 101 whiskies that he's tasted where the only description is the word whiskey. It's far more than that. But it's that attitude that I'm really behind. Whiskey is unique. Let's embody that. I'm looking forward to see how his website develops. Be brilliant if people went and visited it, gave him some comments, gave him some some feedback about how they think it's going. First glance I've had of it, looks brilliant, looks lovely. And good luck with your Simon on that. Now if you want to go and see it, of course, there'll be a link on my website, but you don't have to trail through that. Just go to www. 
so many whiskies.com. Now, whiskies in that is spelled W H I S K I E S. So many whiskies.com. Give it a try. Now, I had hoped to give tasting notes on that Movember Glenfarclas that Darren Rook spoke about last week. However, my cold is still with me, and so I'm waiting for my palate to recover. Hopefully, by next week, I'll get that down for you. In the meantime, bottles are available from www.masterofmalt.com slash Movember. This has also been a week that has seen the SWA continue to stand against the Scottish Government. To use Gavin Hewitt, Chief Executive of the Scotch Whisky Association's own words, the Scottish Government's fixation with minimum pricing as the solution to alcohol-related harm is misguided. The impact of recent legislation has not yet been fully felt and many other measures to address alcohol misuse remain untested. The Scotch whisky industry agrees that Scotland's drinking culture has to change. We are working with the Scottish Government to deliver that. Minimum pricing is the wrong policy option. It will not achieve the objective of a more healthy, positive and responsible attitude to alcohol. Claims that Scotch whisky as a premium product has nothing to fear from minimum pricing are misplaced. Within Scotland, less affluent consumers who buy own label Scotch whisky will be hit, while the knock-on impact of copycat trade barriers overseas could lead to enormous damage to the industry's export markets. Only last week the UK government confirmed that minimum pricing is probably illegal. A legal alternative would be to work with the UK government on a UK basis to remove tax discrimination between different drinks and to introduce a floor price for alcohol based on the revised duty rates and VAT. The SWA aren't the only ones to release a press release. Somebody else who has done that is Compass Box Whiskey. Now they're saying they're going to take a lead in the educational drive around new laws on Scotch whiskey that come into force from Wednesday the 23rd of November 2011. Okay, now John Glazer explains at midnight on November the 22nd, 2011, an era ends. After that point, it will be illegal for whiskey makers to use the term vatted malt to describe a Scotch whiskey made from the combination of two or more single malts. From the 23rd of November 2011, this style of whisky will, by law, have to be labelled as blended malt Scotch whisky. Vatted malt is a term that has been in use since at least the 19th century. It represents a style of whisky in which compass box specialise, so 
it has a special meaning for us. Therefore, we have decided to take a lead in the education of whiskey drinkers about the new legal definitions of the five styles of Scotch whiskey. We feel that this is an important change to the law that needs to be explained to whiskey lovers. As the new laws come into effect, we want to take this opportunity to educate, to look to the future and to help the industry as a whole. Those are the words of whiskey maker John Glazer, founder of Compass Box. Now, how are they going to do that? They're going to do that by commemorating this transition into a new era with the last vatted malt limited edition from compass box it's going to be on sale from the 23rd of november 2011 onwards at compassboxwhiskey.com and from other whiskey retailers it's going to be bottled at cast strength each bottle will be personally signed by john glazer and only 1,323 bottles will be produced. Recommended retail price for a 70cl bottle is £175. Now what are they saying about this last fatted malt? They're saying that the last fatted malt is a testament to the high merit of blending single malts to create a whiskey flavour profile that no single distillery can produce. This whiskey combines intense aromas and flavours of dried fruits and maltiness underscored by a subtle sweet smokiness, all robed in the revealing signs of whiskies of antiquity. It is composed of two single malts. Approximately 22% of the recipe is whisky distilled at the younger of the two distilleries in the village of Abalore in 1974, making it 36 years old. Aged in a first fill sherry butt, the balance is from the famed distillery in the village of Port Escague on Isling made in 1984, 26-year-old, aged in an American oak hogshead. Sounds intriguing, sounds interesting, and we look forward to that coming out. I've also found out about a new bi-monthly online magazine that comes from the keyboard of no other than Dominic Rosgrove, and I must add congratulations to the Whiskey Connoisseur boys for hosting this, this little wonder. Now, I must confess, when I first heard about this, this online magazine that is called World Whiskey Review, I liked the sound of it. When I first heard about it, I thought, hmm, that sounds interesting. But then when I saw it, I must confess, my heart sank. Is it badly written? No, it's not. Is it full of waffle? No. Is it a load of pretentious nonsense? No, it's not that either. So what is wrong with it, I hear you ask? Well, the answer to that is nothing. There's nothing wrong with it. The problem is that there is an increasing amount of information about whiskey coming out at the moment, and one has to be selective or prioritise at the least. Now, mainly that is okay. It's, it, 
as it helps focus the mind on the next dram. But it does take some effort. And just as you think you're getting on top of it all, up comes World Whiskey Review. It's well written, it's interesting, it's enticing, it's credible, it's relevant. But here's the crunch. It's not only another great thing to read, but it has a twist. This is not about Scotch or Irish or American whiskey. It's not even about Canadian whiskey. It's about the rest of the world. It's about loads of distilleries that do not get as much coverage. Now this means that there is even more new things to learn from it and from places that I haven't heard about and whiskies that I have little taste references about. It's like finishing a lovely box of chocolates and then finding that the box has got another two layers underneath that you didn't know about and that some of the chocolates in those layers are not even listed on the box cover. It's that wonderful feeling of excitement, of discovery, of a whole avenue of new things to, to try and to look at. So don't get me wrong, I'm not complaining here. But it does give me this rather awkward situation of having to explain to my family that a little bit more of Dad's time has just been taken away. Dominic Roscoe, well done. It does look really interesting. I will be tucking into this whenever I can. And I'm planning to talk to Dominic about this site and some other things as well, uh, which I hope to get into an episode very soon. There's still even more, because recently it's that time of year where Jim Murray's Whiskey Bible, this time the 2012 edition, comes out. Now, it is amazing that this year's Whiskey Bible has the same number of pages as last year's, and yet it has even more whiskies. Last year saw 1,050 new entries, while this year brings 1,200 more. Now, that's more. So you've still got the other ones there, and this is how many new ones have been added to it. Now that is a whole lot of tasting. Even Jim Murray himself confesses that this has had an effect. The increased pressure of reviewing so many whiskies has left him, in his words, not mine, exhausted and drained. And yet he manages it. Page after page after page of well-organized descriptive notes with itemized scores that are easy to read. Well... I say easy to read, they would be if they were in a decent sized font. But this is not what the book is all about. There are also the coveted whiskey awards, along with Jim's commentary on the state of the whiskey world. This year's comments also looks at the issues of older whiskies, the amount of older whiskey that's out on the market at the moment, and changes in wood management with younger whiskies and the effect that that has. The important thing that I feel is that one must remember that these are all descriptions that are subjective. They are just one person's opinion, even if that person is a world-class expert. 
the temptation is to take them as being more than that which can lead to a few little problems if the reader over relies upon them and that leads to the question well what value has the book actually got and the answer to this is simply that the book has got lots of value to give just two examples Jim Murray has been doing this for a long time even if his taste buds are tuned differently to yours he will notice changes and variations that will give indications for you to look out for his sensation of citric for example may well be different to yours but if that citric aspect changes he's going to notice it now this also has an implication for overall quality and balance the change of trends the second point of value and there are many more points but hey i've got to save some for next year the second point is a good use to put the book to jim has a very developed palette and an incredible range of references and comparisons to draw on it's an ideal book to have with you when tasting a whiskey now personally i would not use it to help me choose a whiskey others do and i respect them for it i don't have any big problem with that but it's not something i personally do however having got a whiskey and tasted it myself i would then read jim's notes and then return to the whiskey to see if i can find what he's found it's a good way of pushing your taste recognition of developing your your own descriptive t skills of picking out flavors of actually helping develop your tasting skills as long as you retain the confidence to be honest with yourself if you disagree with him or actually sometimes even if you do agree with him now at 12 pound 99 is it worth getting now, i'm going to give an easy yes to that i recently spoke about the malt whiskey yearbook which i would highly recommend and some people would ask well which is better which of the two do i buy the answer is simple they're different books they both may be annual publications but their roles and their styles are very different the more whiskey yearbook has got more articles more distillery information more overall reflection the bible it's more specific to precise tasting notes there is a short review of the year and some commentary but by far this is the place to go to find the individual and detailed tasting notes about whiskies now my complaint from last year remains the font is far too small for a man who needs reading glasses if ever there is a publication that needed to be in an app form this is it and this is where the great news gets even better for that app is coming the apple and android app should be here by november but we're in november and i've not found it yet but i'm eager for it to arrive just imagine having all those notes so easily at hand if only i had an iphone but one warning for you 
do not confuse that app with the already present Whiskey Bible app, with Whiskey being spelled with an E. At the moment, that's available for, I think it's 69p, but it is not from Jim Murray. And I have to be honest, I haven't used it. I've got no desire to use it, but the reviews of it that I have read are not particularly good. So please don't get that one muddled up with the Jim Murray Whiskey Bible app that should be out at any time. I have asked for some clarification on that. Soon as I get that, I will put that in and let you know. Well, last week I played a few excerpts from We Dram Fest, the local whiskey festival that I go to in Bakewell in Derbyshire, run by the We Dram Shop. And do you know, at these events, there's so many whiskies to sample, there's so many people to talk to, there's so many experiences to be had that I couldn't get it all into one podcast. So I have saved some, and I'm going to play you the rest of them this week, in this week's episode of the Morton Muse podcast. Right, let's start off with a question I've asked a few people. Silly question, I know. Earlier on today, I've got a thorn in my foot. Yeah. Give me absolute jit. Yeah. What whiskey have you got here is going to help me take my mind off that thorn? Yeah, well, if you're going to take your mind off the thorn, you need something that's going to explode on your palate and reverberate through your body. Right. Now, in my knowledge, there's only one whiskey that can do that. So I'm going to pour you a glass of Aquavita, Eau de Vie, Ushki, whiskey from an island on the west coast of Scotland, a volcanic island that you're going to be trying straight from the cask, and this will obliterate any thorny questions or ideas you may have. Are you up for that? I'm up for it. This has been aged in first fill char American oak barrels and it gives Talisker on point of entry a lovely rich sweet sensation at the start of the taste experience so when you take that while you've still got that awful thorny issue take a mouthful of this and give it about 10 seconds in the mouth over the tongue round the gum chew it allow the DNA of Talisker to really open out and take away the other word beginning with T that seems to be having such an effect on your body yeah. in your foot. I'm, I'm struggling with what you're saying, to be honest, because already I'm forgetting about the other word. Well, that's what I'm doing. It's all a matter of mental strategy here. This is... Um, well, I've had one sip of this, and already I know... Already I know why this is one of my, one of my son's favourite whiskies. Do you know, I think the best part of Talisker is when you go through the range, no, no kidding here, Every expression of Talisker brings something to the table in a different way. And some of the best fun I've had in the last couple of years is to show off the sheer diversity of the range, where it's not necessarily about age, it's about cast management or the quality of the grain that exudes flavour on the ten. When you move up through the expressions, they've all got something 
that's showing it off in a different way. As I say to some people, you've just had the 57 North, which is like Tamaskir in HD. It's a high and it's fantastic, right? Running that tasting two weeks ago. Hold on, hold on. I'm recording this. Do you want to say this on the podcast? Yeah. I can do, yeah. yeah go on. So, run for the Royal Society of Chemistry two weeks ago. Talisker 57 uh, North. Averaged at 92, uh, 92% as a score. Came second to the night in the night. Two very enthusiastic thumbs up. Great stuff. Great value at 50 odd pounds a bottle. Fantastic, thank you. And he doesn't work for me, by the way. <laughs> My wife occasionally. But he could do, he could do. <laughs> there you go. I think that's a great fun of somewhere like today here out in Bakewell is such a mixture of people all getting into taste and flavour and it makes it much more enjoyable for myself and for the whiskies that we show here today. Look, on the left of me, on the right of me I've got Indian whiskey, on the left I've got Irish whiskey. This didn't happen ten years ago. No. So no, hooray for diversity and hooray for people coming out in their droves like today. And, and, and making it come alive. You and I had a little conversation earlier on, sat in your car actually. I was done toward I hasten to <laughs> And one of the things I said then was that it's not just the whiskey with these events, it's the characters behind it. Yeah. And of course you are one of those key characters. Well, you know, I was very lucky, to be honest with you, I've been very lucky. When I started in the industry last century, uh, when I went to Isla, I met some fantastic people. Yeah, the 1900s, yeah. And I was so lucky to meet people, you know, from sort of like 35 up to 95 and regaining their stories and it really touched me. I changed my, I changed my job from the wine trade yeah. into the whiskey trade and if I can pass on some of that enthusiasm they gave me to the customers, that to me is like winning a gold star or win, better than winning Wonderful. an award. Well, that was Colin Dunn from Diageo. What an interesting man, so full of character. Now, last week we played the interview with Amrit Whiskey, which he talked about as being on one side of him, and he said on the other side of him was Irish Whiskey. Well, that's Irish Whiskey from Cooley's. And another person who I've spoken to before, I've interviewed before, in fact, had a whole episode about, and what a pleasure it was to meet him again. Michael, Cooley's Whiskey. Yeah. Irish Whiskey itself is coming very much more into the forefront at the moment. It is. a big, hot still movement going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Cooley's are going to get involved in that, aren't they? We are. How are you going to do that? We, we're currently experimenting making hot still whiskey. It's all under wraps at the moment, but it's all being made down in Kilbegan at the new distillery that we have down there, the boutique distillery. Yeah, that's lovely, isn't it? The new distillery. Yeah, well, the old distillery. But it's the old distillery. Yeah, it's in the premises of the old distillery using the old stills, of course. But uh, yes, watch this space. Some very, very interesting innovations coming out of Kilbegan. Okay. Any idea what the time scale or names? You have to watch this space for another couple of years. Okay. But I reckon when it comes out, it's going to be really good. The uh, the early signs are very exciting. The, the distillers, also us on the commercial side, can't wait for it. And I think it's really, really going to be the next big thing. Now, We're going to be part of the wave, actually, of interest. Yeah, so, sure. 
it's no secret I'm a great lover of Cooley's whiskey. Yes. In my favourites, it's way up there. One of the things I really love about Cooley's as a company is the fact that it, it supports so many other things. A lot of the supermarket brands are Cooley's whiskeys. Yep. Yep. You've also got some stuff going on in Belfast, I believe. Yeah, there's another distinctly opening there. Yeah, well, there, there, there's again, it's it's at very, very early discussion stages, but there's a customer of of Cooley, a customer who we make private label whiskey for, who's the Danny Boy brand, is looking at. Uh, feasibility study on building a distillery in Belfast for the first time in a hundred years yeah. and um, yep we're, we're in discussions yeah. and it's early days now but um, stranger things have happened yeah brilliant and today we've got with us Connemara yep now this this is come on let's brag about coolies for a moment yep. let's, let's see what makes it individual Connemara what's special about Connemara well first of all Ireland's only peated single malt and, 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 and importantly, as I see it, Connemara peated single malt, because it's double distilled, is one of the few occasions where you can compare Scotch whiskey, Scotch single malts with Irish, because double distilled, made in a very similar process and so on. The fact that Connemara stands up, wins gold medals at the World Whiskey Awards and so on, in direct competition with its competitive set, I think is a very, very good indicator of just how good our whiskey is vis-a-vis Scotch. Brilliant. So that is the only, this is what makes Cooley's unique, it's the only peated Irish whiskey. Only peated single malt, yes. On the other side of the table, yep. we've got Greenall. What's special about Greenall? Well, this is uh, single grain whiskey again. And if you think about it, single grain whiskies are relatively new in terms of the level of interest coming in here. And we've already been quoted by some of the major whiskey writers saying that the Greenall, the original Greenall 8, now all the way up to an 18-year-old, proved that... This whiskey standalone proves that we've got the best grain distillery in the world. Some very, uh, very uh, um, important advocates of this are, yeah. are now on record saying so. The 18-year-old has won a gold medal at the World Whiskey Awards, which we're uh, going to be picking up in another, a few weeks' time. So very exciting times. And again, how many Irish whiskies are there that single grain? This is it. We're, That's it. We, we're ahead of the ahead of the curve. It's the only one. This is the one. So two unique products. We're we're at the very head of innovation. And both of them innovative, cutting edge, and in the middle of the table, what do we have? Well, we've got the new Kilbegan eighteen-year-old. As you know, the our previous deluxe blend, the fifteen-year-old, had the great distinction of winning the world's best blended whiskey. And that was it won its best in class in Ireland and then beat all blended Scotch, American and so on. So we've great hopes that this 18-year-old, which is an absolutely fabulous extension of what was the 15-year-old, will maybe pick up that kind of accolade as well. Magnificent whiskey. Fantastic. How much does that cost? Where can we get hold of it? Good independence. The whiskey's going to cost somewhere between 79 and £85. Pounds. And uh, we're now rolling it out of distribution through our distributor, O2V, into the top independents. And is that open to sample today? That is very much. I've been waiting for you to come over here. And we're going to be giving, uh, so far, I'm into my second bottle of samples. Fantastic. Michael, lovely talking to you. Thank you. Brilliant. Once again. Alistair, lovely to see you in Bakewell. Likewise. You've just pulled a whiskey. Yeah. What was the whiskey you poured? Tell me a bit about it. I've just poured an antiquary 21-year-old. It's a deluxe blend. Antiquary is a very old whiskey. It was first established in 1857. Um, it's owned by a company called J&W Hardy. We were two brothers, wine merchants in Edinburgh. The name antiquary 
came about because they couldn't think what to call it. So they named it after a, a book owned by their best friend, Sir Walter Scott. Oh, right. And this was his third novel. So that's how it came about to be called Antiquary. And the 21-year-old is a, a mix between grain whiskey and malt. It's 50% grain, 50% malt. Obviously, Tomatin is the, the largest quantity of malt because it's owned by Tomatin Distillery. And it's a lovely, rich, warming dram. It's got a lovely, deep, sherry cask flavour to it. So that's Antiquary. And you've got two here. You've got a 12-year-old yep. and you've got the 21-year-old. Yep. But you said the main constituent is Tomatin. Correct. Tell me a bit about Tomatin. Right, Tomatin Distillery is a Highland distillery. It's up near Inverness. It's one of the highest distilleries in Scotland. Uh, they produce a range starting 12 years old, 15, 18, through to a 40-year-old. Uh, they're non-peated malts. They're always fruity, always nice, sweet flavour. And finish depends on the casks, obviously, that we use. But we tend to use bourbon and sherry casks. This is the drawback about things like this, isn't it? <laughs> all, the, all these punters that get in the way. They spread the triadram. Hey, that's what it's all about, isn't it? <laughs> it's lovely to stand in the floor you Yeah, lovely to stand. So yeah, the, the, the Tomatin Distillery is one of the largest producers. They used to have 23 stills. Uh, they used to produce 13.5 no, million. Liters. When you say 23 still, working stills, yeah. is that 23 wash stills, spirit stills? stills. Hot stills. Hot stills? Yes. Uh, but that was when we were producing bulk. We still produce a little bit of bulk from blending, but they used to be, they were the largest producer in Scotland, bigger than Glenfiddich and all the rest of it. However, it was a change in the industry. Um, and in 1985 or so, there was less, less people it took the, the product for blending, so the Aju managed their own malts for blending, etc. So the company went into administration and in 1986 it was bought over by the Japanese company called Takara. And since then it's been run almost like an independent distillery. So they have bought you, they've funded you, and then they've let you alone to get on to do what you know is best. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is the way, that's fantastic. Yeah. So the brand, as I say, the range starts at the 12 years old. Um, Gets 11 and a half months in, in bourbon casks, six months in sherry. We do a 15 year old 100% bourbon, an 18 year old, which is 16 years bourbon, and two years in sherry casks. Okay. Strange question. Yeah. Would you put ice in it? Um, you can put anything you like in it, it's how you enjoy your whiskey. Would you put ice in it? I personally don't put ice in it, but it's up to the individual. Right. We can put coke in it if you wish. Yeah. Good answer, good answer. Which one do you think that you've got here that, if you were going to say, this is the flagship, this is the one that shows to Matter Distillery at its best? Well, we have two whiskies which, which are what I would call classics. The 12-year-old classic is a classic Highland malt. Uh, it delivers every time. It's an easy-going malt, easy to drink, that delivers in flavour. The 18-year-old, however, is genuinely what I would describe as the Tomatin flagship. It really says everything about Tomatin. And late at night... Yeah. Sorry. 
Late at night. Late at night. Curling up in front of the fire, whatever you do, yep. which is the one you'd pick out to be your own personal favourite? My own personal favourite for our, our last night drama, last thing at night, I would have the 18 year old. Lovely. But, do you know, I don't think I've got any choice. You've got to have Honestly, one. Can I try an 18 year old? Absolutely, sir. So there you go. That is. I have to say, just looking at it, I know you can't read too much into colour, but it looks beautiful in itself. It is. It's a lovely nose. Lovely nose. Thank you very much, Alistair. Thank you. Helen Wainwright. That's right. Eau V. Yes. We're at Bakewell. It's the Weed Ram Fest. And you've got a lovely selection of, of whiskies here. Actually, international whiskies. We've got America and we've got Japan. Where do I start? I would say probably Japanese is easiest to start with because okay. um, they're in keeping almost with the rest of the room. They're produced in the same way um, and you get a, a similar character so it's not too much of a jump. Whereas with the American, you, you've got a completely different product altogether because bourbon by law is made by 51% corn, which is a much richer, sweeter product. So much better to start with the Japanese. And with the American ones, it is American. You've not, I'm not seeing any Tennessee whiskies here. No, we deal with only independently produced products, and we only deal with Heaven Healing in Bardstown in Kentucky. <laughs> we were starting with the Japanese. We ought to get a drink. Yeah, let's do Japanese. Oh, now you've got Nikka whiskey, Yoichi. Tell me a little bit about Yoichi. Well, Nikka own two distilleries. Um, they've been distilling for about 80 years, and it started off with the company owner who was the son of the um, then owner of a, a sake brewing company. So he went, his son went travelling over to um, to Scotland and met his wife, spent a little bit of time in Scotland and then went back. And obviously a sake brewery, it could lend itself quite well to producing whiskey. So it was a whole transition that the, the company went through. Now um, my understanding's right. He did that at the time when Japanese whiskey was making a real sudden leap. And before that, a sign of good quality Japanese whiskey was one that didn't explode on the shelf. <laughs> so this is this is a real key time. In... Absolutely, it's a key time. And it, Japanese whiskey recently has come into its own. Um, the Yoichi, when we get to it later, it actually won Whiskey of the Year over all world whiskeys. Sure. And it's done that in two different expressions in two different years. So that obviously is a reflection of what's happening with Japanese whiskey right now. Yeah. And, and it is extraordinary. It's got and, its own character. And you've moved from Japanese whiskey that was for things like Queen, George, or whatever it was. To now we have things like the Nicker single barrel absolutely. whiskey, yeah. which I've tasted myself and they're absolutely wonderful. Yeah. But on the other side, you've got the, the American whiskey. Well, the company that I work for is a company that's been going for about 30 years. And at a time when everybody was drinking all of the same products, um, it was a decision that was taken by the managing director to want to sell different things and all independently produced products as well. So he went over to France and saw some family produced cognacs and armagnacs, some Calvados from family businesses as well. And 
then it went into the entire world from everything from Japan to Rom or the Caribbean islands. So, but it's, it's a signature that runs through the company that we only want to buy from very passionate independent producers. So we're very lucky and um, so it's quite difficult to know what to bring with me today. Um, but Heaven Hill Distillery is probably the biggest distillery that we deal with. It's a huge, huge corporation, but still independently owned. So it's still in keeping with what we're trying to do. And they're producing a wide range of, of whiskies from Yes. Now, yes. am I right? I think it's Rittenhouse. Has that come from That's Heaven Hill? That's them as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Along with some other things. Now, Heaven Hill, I will confess to you, when I first heard the name Heaven Hill, I thought... It must be a hill that's really nice, but it's not, is it? It's no. the name of the person who founded it. Yes. You've also got some whiskey here um, that I think has got a Welsh connection. Yes, so, so Evan Williams is something that's, that's very well received in the south of Wales because it is a Welsh gentleman. Yeah. Um, so that is certainly by far the biggest selling bourbon in south Wales. Fantastic. So yes, it has got a, quite a nice Welsh connection. And on the very end, I'll quickly ask you this before you serve these people, you've got something that's got no colour to it whatsoever. Tell me a little bit about that. It's basically a fun product that Heaven Hill's done, harping back to the days where people were distilling moonshine in their backyards. So um, Heaven Hill have done an unaged corn whiskey, which is basically less than 30 days old. Less than 30 days old? Yeah, so it's not seen very much ageing at all. In fact, legally, it, it, we can't term it whiskey because that has to be three years old. Now, is it possible to taste some of that? Absolutely. This, I can't believe I'm asking this question, but can I please taste some? That's lovely. What's the ABV on this? 40%. 40%. Yeah, sometimes okay. with these products, they'll plot them at higher strength. Yes. Yeah. Heaven Hill have been very responsible about reducing it to 40%. And it also, I have to say, it looks very nice in the jam jar. Absolutely. Thing. And it's very good for making cocktails in the jar. Helen, thank you ever so much. Thank you very much. Okay. Okay, so six islands is a blended malt. We take a malt from each of the six producing islands and we put it together. All different ratios and the blender will decide which of what distillery goes in to make up the, the, the spirit. So it's definitely got the Isla touch. It's smoky but it's not as fierce as the smokehead. It's quite young as you can see by the colour. That's it. Okay, it's got a lovely, slight peppery nose to this. And we've got a nice sweetness at the end. And it's quite surprising for a blended malt that people forget about it always go single malt, single malt. Yeah. But the blended malt, just that concept of taking one from the six islands and putting it together, you get the maritime influence naturally because most of the islands have heat because that's what they use to heat their houses and to cook with and everything like that. So, so let's be poetic here for a moment. What's the idea behind this whiskey? How's it been made? Are we talking about somebody trying to create a... Yeah, it's just a brand that's been created. Yes, yeah, so it's been created from this wonderful palette of different... Yeah, of, di of the, the, the distillery, the, the actual producing islands. So Jura, Aran, Mull, Sky, Isla and Orkney. Yeah, each one of those bringing its own character to Absolutely. it. Fantastic. Thank you very much.
expression from both facilities, uh, Glendronach and Ben Rear. The Glendronach Rams uh, renowned for their strong sherry character. if you like, but a single cast uh, exclusive to the UK from 
Well, listener, if you've managed to continue listening, battling against all that background noise, well done. And please carry on listening. Stay till the very end because I've saved a really good cracking interview for the, the last of this episode. This is my interview with Willie Tate from Jura. Full of energy, full of vibrancy, full of character and full of wisdom. Wonderful. Now then, how do I address you? Do I call you Mr. Tate? I'm I'm Willie. Willie. Willie Tate, Isle of Juno. Now, for the sake of our listeners, tell me a little bit about yourself. How long have you been in the trade? What got you into it? I've been now in the business almost 40 years. I've been with this company and with Isle of Jura for approximately about 37 years. I lived on Jura for 25. I was the longest serving distillery manager. I went there originally in 1974 with my wife and young family. Started off as a turnroom man, a job that doesn't exist anymore. You know the one that the people put the brush up your backside? One of them. And then by 79 I was the assistant manager and by 85 I was the manager. Also the manager of Jura and Brewer Claddy because we owned the same distillery. And then I went in 2000, I went to the north and I lived in the little village of Fetter Cairn. I was a manager of Fetter Cairn, Tam Navullan and Tilly Barden, which we owned at the time. And then in the early, you know, 2004, 2005, they asked me if I would kind of be global master distiller brand ambassador for Isle of Jura. So, n- not thinking of any of the consequences, I took the job and I've never regretted it because I've seen so much and so many people around the world. So that that is a lot of experience in the whisky world. Yes, I a lot of, a lot of time from the bottom up the way. Yeah and everything in between. And you would have seen an awful lot of changes taking place during that time? Uh, if you, once you get new owners, we've had a lot of new owners. Originally we were Scottish Newcastle, then we were Invergordon, then we were White and Mackay. So with the, with the, with the company changing, then everything cha- normally changes with it. But for me as a distiller, the good thing that never changes is the spirit of the distillery and the spirit of Isle of Jura never, for me never changed. Everything else changes, personnel change, maybe even packaging changes, but for me the beauty of it, the spirit never changes. Yeah. You can't really change the spirit of it. That family of Jura has always stayed, remained the same with the founder in the early 60s, a Mr. Melmy Evans, designed the distillate uh, and for me it's all about the distillate the size and the shape of that distillate, it really is what Jura is all about, that nice soft, gentle, sweet toffee, honey kind of spirit and we have moved on from there, so in, in the 90s Willie Tate kind of changed it up slightly in introducing malty barley that was heavily peated we started off with the superstition, which was a combination of two styles, and the one that we're tasting today, which is the prog 
Chelsea is all heavily peated, non-chill filter and 46%. So we're really taking Willie Cater, really taking Jura back to its roots again. So we have one for everybody, we have this nice light 10 and you know a nice opener into single malt drinking. The wonderful 16, again a Highland, the Jurox, the people of the island, you really enjoy that. The superstition, the entrance in and then the big peak at the very end. So Jura really has one for everybody. Sure, sure. Now I do have a problem with Jura at the moment. How was that? Now it's a strange problem. I don't know whether you'll be able to help me with it or not. But I used to have this wonderful situation where I love whiskey. My wife loved buying whiskey, but she wouldn't touch it. She wouldn't drink it. That's a good, that's a good combination. Yeah, lovely. However, more recently, she's had her eye on a bottle of Jura. She kept saying to me, I like the look of that. She's tasted it. She likes it. She's now drinking my whiskey. Is there any chance Jura could do something about that? Is there not a... a I know, I think it, you'll need to change. I think it should be for sharing. I think you should sit down together and enjoy a wee dram together at night. Yeah. It's much better if you're sharing it. I hate people to be drinking alone. So she is completely right and you're wrong. So I'm changing nothing. I think she's got it right. right. But actually, you're touching on the point there, aren't you? In many ways, whiskey is to do with sharing. I think so. It's that social aspect. I think, I think most things, you know, like all human interaction, and we really like to interact. You know, some, sometimes it's nice to be alone. Sometimes you feel as if you want to be alone. But the breed of us really is about we interact with each other. Um, and, and I think a dram is more enjoyable when you have somebody with you that is appreciating it with you. Yeah. Or even for me, it's if they find something different in it than I do and we can discuss it. Because that's what single malt's all about is remember people give tasting notes but for me it's all about the personal touch where your nose your palate you figure out what's going on and share that with whoever you're sharing it with and possibly the other person might get something slightly different than you it's just that they recognize it different the tasting doesn't change it's just the, the way that we view the way that we view it changes so your vanilla might be my cooking you know your pear drop might be something else I would get something different but bearing that in mind then how easy is it to write a tasting note for a whiskey that people can actually understand in any way well I think what you should do with it is just do over a lot the, the most the way that I would do it is you know take if I was doing tasting notes normally just sit in the house and maybe reading or watching television or whatever and have a little nose of it cover it leave it and have another wee nose and something will pop out into your head whether it's a you know if it's a fruit for instance then okay the word fruit goes down and then it's covered and then you look at that fruit again dissect that fruit now is it a dried fruit is it raisin sultana or is it a fresh fruit is it banana is it pear is it orange whatever you know that connotation and if it's an orange is it the peel of the orange so is it a bit more citrus and then if you get a nutty flavour then where is the nut coming from is it almonds or whatever and if it's generally sherry woods 
then to me it's cut almonds that would keep coming back to me. So, and then if you get a nice creaminess to it, oh, that creamy is it? Is it toffee that's doing that? So, what can is that the toffee aspect to it? So, and then you might get like to the Jura 16, I get a nice honey finish to it. So it's almost kind of soothing at the end of the palate. So then I try to describe that also. You see, that's happening to Willie Tate. It's not happening to you. And it's up to you to find out that experience that Willie Tate's getting. But you might find it in a different format than Willie Tate. And to me, that's the beauty about it. That's why I don't insist on the repertoire of giving people the tasting note. Try it for yourself. Enjoy it with yourself. And then share it with other people and, and then discuss what's going on. To me, that's the beauty about drinking. Yeah, wonderful. Well, so what about marketing in itself? Because when I look at the whiskies here, their position in the marketplace seems to have changed over over years. Well, we're certainly growing. I mean, Jura at the moment is the largest growing single malt in the country. Um, and lots of people, marketing has, has obviously played its part in making people more aware of it. But I always say that if you, it doesn't matter how much marketing you do, if you taste it for the first time and you don't like it, you won't buy it again, no matter what marketing scheme is going on. So for me, as, as a distiller of Jura, I'm more than confident when people taste Jura that they'll go back to it again. For me, that's the big part of it, not just the ones that you've been, you, you've been drawn into by marketing or sales or whatever. But you've tasted it and you're going back because you actually like the product. But that brings me back to my problem in a way, isn't it? Because that's what's happened to my wife. She's tasted it and now she's going back to it. And there's a part of me that was wondering whether or not marketing-wise you could put on the label... For you only. (laughs) For for these eyes only. (laughs) Uh, No, I, I think she's got the right idea. I think she's opening herself up to you. And, and she might even start buying whiskey for you even more because she's helping herself to it as well. That is beginning to knock on, actually. That I absolutely And Instead of buying just the odd bottle, she'll buy more for you. Two very quick questions. What's your view on ice in whiskey? Well, ice, it, it's like, you know, it's like everything else that's cold. It's, if you take a piece of meat out of the freezer, you don't know whether it's good or bad or indifferent. It's not till that piece of meat thaws that you're going to decide hey, that meat is still nice. And if you put ice in whiskey, you're going to do exactly, you're going to lock in all the flavour um, and it won't release to the nose or to the palate. So I would not put ice in it. But then I do a lot of work in the States where you know, people have always put a cube of ice in it and they like it that way. And consumers really should be left to what they want to do with their drink. And I would say to them, try it, nose it first, put it onto your palate, add a little bit of water, do the same again, find out more about it uh, that's intriguing, and then if you still want to put your ice in it, by all means, then put your ice in it, and then enjoy it the way that you want to enjoy it. And not okay, caring if you stick a number L or whatever they want to put in it, as long as it's Isle of Jura. <laughs> I, 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 would st- I would stop at the cherry. Lovely. Okay. And the final question, really strange question this, but I've often said to people when there are events like this, 
don't feel ashamed to go and ask the advice of the person to the other side. Don't always just go for the most expensive or the oldest, whatever. So I want to give you a little challenge. I've got a thorn in my foot. I've been walking around Bakewell, pain in my foot. What have you got here that's going to take my mind off of that? I'd, me personally, I would take that thorn out my foot right away. <laughs> Instead of getting comatosed. Um, well, I, you know, you're, you're right by what people, when they come to these events, and what I really do suggest to them is that, you know, some people come in and they, they look for the oldest or whatever. Their idea is the older it is, the better it is. And that's not true. Just ask my wife. It's not true. Okay. <laughs> Some younger whiskies are like children, they tell you much more about themselves. So I suggest to people when they come to these things, is go around all the tables, even if you're spitting it out, you know, nosing it, tasting it, and move on. And then find so and then not put something down in a piece of paper to remind you. See, I like that note, it was nice and fruity, it was spicy. I'll remember that. There's I Love Jura 16. The walk on and they'll do the whole thing and maybe leave the heavy peaks till nearer the end of the evening because they're going to kind of overpower your palate and kind of stop everything else coming in and then you know the last hour then go around that selection that you've picked maybe six or seven whiskies that you've really enjoyed of that day and then take a nice glass full as you're going around to me that's what these events are all about you know I think that's really good advice and I have to add to what you've said what you said about the peaty whiskies, I, I find that about the American whiskies as well. If I have an American whiskey at the beginning of the day, I'm still tasting it at the end of the day. Yeah. I think you have to look for the profile and find out you know, where it suits at the time that you're drinking it. And I wouldn't you know, touch really the heavy peats until nearer the end and, and then almost take them on their own. Go for the Lafroy's, Lag of Rollins, go for Isle of Jura, Prophecy and then start to compare them because they're easily compared when you're drinking them together so if you take an Arbeg for instance then you take a Prophecy and then you take a Lafroy or a Lagavulin at least you've kept that in a bit, that wee tight category of its own sure. and, 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 and they can live with each other and your palate's got used to the smoke but then there's different degrees of it you'll find the Prophecy being Jura in big tall stills is much lighter than Lafroy de Lagavulin. So even though it's got the peating level, it's all about the style and the family. So that's the way I would do it if I was coming to these days. That's my advice to people that come to them because maybe after an hour, you know, the pallets are gone and they're just drinking, and that's that's the shame about it because. You know, for a little cost, they can get such an experience, and they should take advantage of that experience. Well, I was talking to Colin Dunn earlier before the event started, and one of the things I said to him was that, to me, coming to these events, it's not just to do with the whiskey, it's to do with meeting the people behind the whiskey, and I'd just like to say... Willie, it's been a pleasure. And, and Thank you very much. Yourself. Now, you've mentioned the prophecy. If you it's want to be Let's have a wee dram of the prophecy. Absolutely. Well, remember, it's heavy peat. It's 46% and it's non-chill filter. So, we're getting a catering for everybody here. Yeah, that's lovely. I'm going to take this away. I should do a little tasting note on it. Thank you very much. My pleasure, my friend.
Well, thank you again for listening to this episode of the More to Muse podcast. If you haven't heard them already, there is a back catalogue of other episodes available on iTunes. And if anybody wants to contact me, they can do so. My email address is jim at themaltedmuse.com. There's the website, www.themaltedmuse.com. And there's also Twitter, Twitter at themaltedmuse. So thank you again for listening. I hope you'll listen next week. And until then, thank you and goodbye.